Hello, and thanks for checking in with us again on the Main Question Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Liznett. Well, the coronavirus and the pandemic it's causing continues to dominate everyone's lives and livelihoods. The repercussions for our health, our economy, our environment, our planet probably won't be fully understood for a long time to come. It is what some are calling a most unfortunate experiment, one that no one has welcomed. But as far as the environment is concerned, it may offer scientists an opportunity. The pause button that has stopped the world's economy and the pollution and other effects it causes has generated some remarkable changes. Waterways are much more clear. Wildlife is returning to places it hasn't been seen in a long time. And for climate scientists, the levels of air pollution, soot, particles, even CO2 have undergone some major changes. Sean Burkle is one of the many humane scientists monitoring these changes. An assistant research professor in the Climate Change Institute, he is also the main state climatologist and the creator of climatereanalyzer.org, which breaks down all sorts of climate and weather data into easy-to-digest maps and images. We talked with Sean about the changes the climate in Maine and across the globe have undergone, how long they may last, and what science might do to leverage this information going forward. In short, our main question for this episode, what can we learn from this unfortunate experiment? Thanks for taking the time to talk to us. I know uh, uh, another Zoom meeting was, was probably not on your highest list of priorities of fun things to do, but we appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Maybe just a, a couple of general questions to start. How do you describe to people that you meet what you focus on, what, what it is essentially that you do that, that occupies your time? Well, as the main state climatologist, I get to meet a lot of people from the public and also I meet with school groups. And um, I also have, um, I'm involved in various different climate research projects as well. And I, I interact with many different people. And in terms of what I do as state climatologist in interacting with the public and also stakeholders, including those in agriculture. And um, I'm also currently serving on the scientific and technical subcommittee of the Maine Climate Council. And uh, so I have a new cohort of colleagues associated with that. And uh, what we typically discuss, um, say if I'm in a public venue giving a presentation to the public. I try to inform the audience on Maine's climate history and um, uh, trends that we see in the climate, both in terms of temperature and precipitation, how seasons are changing, how the winters are changing versus summertime changes, and then try to give them information and perspective on what might lie in the future in this warming world and have a discussion on um, avenues that uh, how, how can we address this? And so introducing um, topics related to policy. Although in my role, I focus mostly on, on um, data interpretation and facilitating discussion. It's a sunny day as we're recording this. I, I don't know if, are, are you ever able to just look out the window and, and put the, the scientist part of you aside and say, oh, it's a beautiful day? Or I mean, is, is it always sort of in the back of your mind a little bit? The climate is always in the back of my mind, but there are, I do try to get out and relax and just enjoy the moment. I really enjoy hiking and nature photography, and that's one of my ways to uh, feel calm and, and just in, enjoy everything 
around me. And uh, there, there are times to be serious and times to also try to just in, enjoy the moment. And I think if we are always burdening ourselves with worry and concern, that's not healthy. Uh, but at the same time, we need to keep in mind that there are important issues that need to be dealt with and um, there are big challenges and we, we can address them. Uh, but of course it is important, um, mental health is important. And I find that getting outside in nature, it strengthens my appreciation for the environment and in nature and part of what I do with nature photography, it uh, really become consumed and in and submerged in, in the environment. Uh, but also helps inform my science as well, because it's part of observing the landscape, observing how the, the natural world works. So in your role as a scientist, what, what strikes you most during these, this unique time we're, we're living through right now? What, what's top of mind for you? At the top of my mind in a time like this, I, I must say first and foremost, uh, we're all living through a, an exceptional moment in our history. And I think we're, we're all facing some level of challenge, anxiety, and uh, concern for how things might change. Uh, as a scientist, I, I see that this is something of an unfortunate but interesting experiment in what happens when the industrial economy and um, industrial activity, um, many aspects of it are put on pause. And I say this in no way meaning to downplay the very important and significant economic impacts um, that, again, that we're, we're all feeling and concerned about. Uh, but that said, to see, for example, um, on sunny days, the skies seem a little clearer. And one reason is the reduction in air traffic. And so I haven't been seeing contrails. Uh, we don't always see contrails. It depends on the moisture content of the atmosphere. More humid air is conducive for contrails forming as a jet passes by and from the exhaust interacting with the air. But seeing more clear skies and not hearing background air traffic, it, in a way it's kind of eerie because we're, we're even in Maine, uh, even where we are in Orono, uh, there's the Bangor airport that's nearby and there's traffic coming over from Europe and going to Europe and so on. Um, so that's one thing I've noticed. The, the air is clearer and others have noticed that as well. And also air pollution in general from reduced industrial activity from uh, factories, some factories um, reducing output and there being far less car travel that also contributes to a reduction in particulate matter and also uh, some toxic gases such as uh, nitrogen dioxide. Uh, and so that's contributing to air that's uh, it'll tend to be a little cleaner and, and clearer. And in uh, the biggest change would be felt over large cities and uh, large industrial areas that those areas would would see the most immediate impact from reduced uh, pollution output. Uh, but also in uh, states such as Maine, which tend to be downwind of major population centers and of uh, major industrial activity. Um, of course, the meteorology is involved as well. It depends on what air mass is overhead, what direction the winds are blowing, if it's high pressure that sets in for a couple of days. And then of course the 
the time duration. So far, we've only been experiencing this partial shutdown of um, of the economy and industrial activity for a, a couple months, and we're already seeing some some of the some of the impacts of that. But if this was to go on for many more months, then I would see even even greater impacts. But for now, it it's a seems to be a, a temporary thing and um, presumably things go back to some sort of normalcy fairly soon. There's several things we're talking about. We're talking about carbon dioxide. We're also talking about particulate matter. That That's a, another uh, pollutant, I guess, that, that maybe was that the first change that was noticed? Well, the particulate matter can um, be emitted from uh, combustion engines, from uh, factories. It, it can also be dust that's emitted from construction activity, also from traffic on on dirt roads. And there are natural sources as well uh, for those living in arid environments. There would, of course, be dust um, that's simply entrained by, by the wind. And in addition to particulate matter, and of course, there are human health impacts as well. Fine particulate matter can uh, become embedded in, in the lungs and it can irritate uh, the lungs and cause uh, illness or exacerbate conditions such as asthma. And uh, there's also uh, black carbon or soot that's emitted from burning fossil fuels, emissions from coal burning, wood burning. So there's been uh, overall some level of reduction. You know, you talked about Maine sort of being downwind from, uh, well, mo most of the countries, certainly. Some of it depends on, like you said, what's going on high pressure, low pressure, that kind of thing. But are, are we seeing the most benefits at present because things have slowed down? Sometimes we're at the, the bad end of the tailpipe and maybe now we're, we're seeing more benefits than some others? I think that's difficult to answer at this time. That would really require um, an analysis. And I, I'm not aware if um, perhaps the main DP has, has conducted such an analysis uh, to see how the air pollution levels may have changed in the past month. Uh, but also this time of year with the passage of storms, that tends to uh, clean the air through precipitation raining down. And um, most of the episodes of air pollution over Maine tend to occur during the summer season when there's predominant airflow from our south and southwest. And there's a, a stronger tendency for high pressure to stall overhead for two or three days, and in which case heat and humidity is funneled up from the south. That tends to be the, the time of year. Also, when the sun is higher in the sky, that's when there can be high levels of ozone. So it's a pretty complex picture, and so far we've only had a very limited time um, in which we've experienced the, the impacts of the partial shutdown. So it's taken a long time to get to the point where we're at now, obviously, in terms of carbon dioxide and some other factors. This is sort of a, a blip, or is it? Is it just basically going to be, in the grand scheme of things, a bump? In the grand scheme of things, whether or not this is just a blip depends on if there are policy changes that follow and, um, and the socioeconomics that, that follow. But for now, again, just for a limited time period, it is a, a, a blip, so to speak, that will probably have just a, a very minor impact. In terms of the greenhouse gas concentration in the atmosphere, that's still rising overall. And if we look at measurements from, for example, the Mauna Loa 
CO2 measurement station. And uh, those data are available online and the record extends back into the uh, mid 1950s. Daily measurements, atmospheric CO2 concentration. Uh, we find that there's been an overall very steep upward trend of uh, CO2 concentration. Uh, the annual signal is detectable. Uh, and if we look at this year in comparison to last year, the, the atmospheric CO2 concentration is still above what it was last year, although there, there's likely going to be some kind of minor reduction uh, resulting from the economic partial shutdown. One focus of yours is Maine's historical climate record. Uh, maybe talk about present day versus historical past, winter severity, temperature range, precipitation. What, what, what do you see if, as you look back, you know, pick, pick, your, uh, pick your time frame 100 years ago. I mean, where are we compared to our historical past? I think that New England and Maine have a very interesting climate history. I'm, I'm somewhat partial to, to this region. Uh, if we go back a couple hundred years, for example, from historical documents, from diaries, and uh, information that we can get out of almanacs, and then towards the 1800s, direct observations as well. We find that Maine's climate was cooler than it is now, that the growing season was shorter, and that the winters on average were more severe. Now, even, even in the 17, 1800s when it was a cooler climate, there were still warm years and there were warm and cool decades. So there's considerable variability, but overall the climate was cooler. Uh, but there's some information for Maine that, that I find particularly interesting that I, I like to present to public audiences just to give them an idea of how the climate is, has really changed. There's a history of Penobscot Bay during some years freezing over to a great extent where, where sea ice would form uh, all the way down to Rockland on the western side of the bay and uh, Frenchman Bay adjoin, adjacent to Mount Desert Island that would freeze over and the various bays and inlets froze over more frequently and to a greater extent than they do now. Uh, but the major free freeze overs occurred during distinct years that are, are recorded. Uh, for example, in the, there's a document, the history of Castine and Brooksville and Pentagoet, which was published in, I believe it was 1874, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, there's an explicit account of the bay freezing over uh, after the eruption, for example, of Mount Tambora in 1815. Three winters in a row, the bay froze over. And there's also an account in that document of someone traveling from Castine to Camden by foot over ice, made a round trip. And uh, that is, of course, something that's very, it doesn't happen today. Uh, the last time that the that Penobscot Bay froze over to any great extent was the um, winter of 1933-34. Likewise, the, the winters are shorter, less severe. I think we've all seen just in the last couple decades that the uh, season of lake ice cover has shortened. Lakes tend to freeze over later in the fall and early winter, and they tend to ice out earlier. Uh, but then, of course, there, there is variability. There are some years that may appear to buck the trend. One thing that's kind of interesting right now is there's been a bit of a cold snap. Many lakes, in, or, or most lakes, in the southern half of the state, uh, iced over well over a week ago, in some cases two or three weeks ago. In northern Maine, most lakes are still frozen. And there are a couple factors involved. It depends on 
the climate gradient across the state. It's a very steep climate gradient. One example that a warming of the same amount in southern Maine may produce winter conditions conducive to a little bit more rainfall or mixed precipitation rather than snow, but up in northern Maine, it can still be snowing. Even though the temperature's warmer, it's just it's a colder climate. And so the, there's been a, a, an interesting uh, distinction between snow season up north versus snow season down south in terms of the change. So it's, uh, there's a bit of complexity there. And, um, but also this recent cold snap, it's enabled lakes in the northern part of the state to remain, to retain their ice cover a little longer. And so there will probably be, in terms of a historical perspective, many ice outs in the northern part of the state will be right within the historical norm that's likely for Moosehead Lake, for example, and then Portage Lake up north and so on. Even though the, the overall climate is, is, is warm, and that's interesting. I, I know one, one of your big projects is uh, the climate reanalyzer. So maybe let, let's uh, dig into that a little bit. What is its purpose? How does it work? Who uses it? What, what, why, uh, why does this thing exist? Climate Reanalyzer is a climate data visualization website. And I began developing that in 2012. And this was for the Climate Change Institute. And uh, the project began as a means to produce maps and extract time series from what are called reanalysis models. Uh, you can think of a reanalysis model as similar to a, a weather forecast, but it operates or ingests historical data sets. Uh, you can get information covering the entire globe on a grid at time slices at time resolutions on the order of one, one hourly, three hourly, monthly, annual, and so on. And at the time, there were only a couple websites where reanalysis models could be accessed and it was, the access was limited, difficult, and you couldn't access all the models. Uh, so Climate Reanalyzer started as being able to provide, uh, initially it was an internal effort to provide CCI researchers with access to these models. And it very soon the project grew because realized we could add data sets, we could add different reanalysis models, and we could also make it available to the public. And um, it's now become a, not only a research tool, but also a, 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 it can be used as a teaching tool. And um, there are aspects of the site that uh, the public can get information. And so the overall goal of it is to make accessing a variety of climate data in an easy manner through intuitive user interfaces. And the site includes both climate data sets and also weather forecasts. Um, you can look at weather forecast maps from a variety of um, both regional models for the United States and also global models. And I, I thought it would be interesting to put weather forecast models in the same web space as climate models. Because fundamentally, climate is average weather. And it's helpful to, in understanding climate, to understand how the weather evolves. And so to be able to do in, on the same website, with the same color schemes, look at maps of how the weather forecast is evolving over, say, a 10-day period, and then move to another page on the site and, and see the, the, the recent monthly trajectory. And uh, so it's been, it's been fun as well, producing this website, working on the data visualization aspects of it. Are farmers and fishermen, people like that, uh, using this to you know, help, help them uh, with their work? Well, I, I think there's certainly that, that possibility, but I think um, another project that I'm involved in is a more direct avenue to approach 
those stakeholders, and that would be through the Maine Climate Office and also the Maine Climate Office website, and also through a project that I'm involved in with colleagues at uh, Cooperative Extension through some funding from a Mitchell Center grant. We're working with stakeholders in agriculture to, uh, we're focusing on providing weather information for decision making in terms of when to conduct certain farm operations based on the accumulation of uh, degree days and uh, the current weather conditions in a form that's delivered for agricultural use. It's a project that we're calling Ag-Eye Weather. Um, and so that's not, not quite, um, I think you had asked if say, fishermen are, are using climate analyzer. And, um, but there are other efforts through the main climate office that I'm trying to reach, reach out to stakeholders. You're first and foremost, of course, a climate scientist, but how does that square with the way this information is used to inform policy decisions? That Those worlds collide, don't they? In a way, my primary role is to provide data and interpretation to facilitate discussion and to help inform the policymakers so that they can do their important work. In my role as state climatologist, that's what I do, and um, that's why I, I was asked to serve on the scientific and technical subcommittee of the Maine Climate Council. And um, we have, we're producing a report for the Maine Climate Council that will be used by um, working groups in establishing policy and uh, ultimately helping to draft a, a Maine uh, climate action plan. The pandemic, so many awful things about it and all the effects it has. But as a scientist, you couldn't design an experiment if this didn't happen that would have simulated what's going on right now. So what, how do you hope to leverage what's happening right now? And, and what do you think, the, what do you hope some of the bigger lessons are that we're going to get from, from uh, going through this whole ordeal? Uh, again, I, I, I see it as an unfortunate experiment, but it is a time, it's an opportunity to reflect upon the importance of the environment and having a clean environment and that I and many people feel that we can build a sustainable green economy in a way that will be an overall benefit to, to the, the country and of course this will be a much larger scale as well. I hope that, that people reflect upon the importance of the environment and getting used to seeing clear skies and clear air, perhaps there'll be added incentive to support legislation and policy that, that helps to, to clean the air. This is with the understanding and belief that we can do so in an economically sensible way that improves our lives. Interesting times, somebody once said, may you live in interesting times, and that's certainly the case for us, and we appreciate you, uh, you sharing your thoughts with us. Well, and thank you, it was a pleasure to be here. Many thanks a road to Sean and all of the UMaine faculty and staff who have agreed to share the stories of their work with us, we hope you'll consider subscribing to our podcast series. You can do so through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Send us your questions and comments at mainquestion at maine.edu. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll catch you next time on The Main Question. <laughs>